Education was not simply another part of American society. It was the key that opened the golden door. In education, you learn how to learn. We must learn. Trust. We must trust students to learn if given a chance. To learn if given a chance. If the pursuit of learning is not Welcome to the 180 Days Podcast, where we're going to be talking about all things education, having to do with parents, students, teachers, policy, kind of whatever is happening in the news and what's relevant in the world today. I am one of your hosts, Karen Greenhouse, and our other host, my esteemed colleague, Mr. Tim Pope. Say hello. Hello, Tim Pope. Uh Funny. Uh Uh-huh. See, a little humor. A little humor. So this is our second episode, and we thought we would focus on uh, assessments and what they are kind of thing. Not that we'll answer all the questions, but kind of a broad overview of what is assessment, what's it mean. So I guess the first question is, um, what's the purpose of assessment? Wow, that's the the, the $60 question, Um, although I guess 21st century reference, that's the $60,000 question. There you go. Um, and so, because it has so many different answers. I mean, even if we even if we decided to limit the conversation and just talk about standardized assessment versus assessment teachers use in general, um, the reality is people use teachers, parents, students, community members use assessment for a bajillion reasons, and that's part of the complication of it. Um, whether it's teachers looking to uh, enhance or inform their instruction to improve student learning. Um, whether it's parents wanting to know, like, is my kid going to be able to go to Harvard, um, be ready for college, or be able to graduate in four years uh, from high school? Whether it's communities, uh, my wife's best friend is a realtor. She just wants to know, is the district a good district so she can tell people when they're shopping for houses? Administrators want to know, like, are the, are the teachers effective? Have I hired effective teachers? Are they, are they good at doing their job? Colleges want to know. Like, all right, our kids ready for our, the rigor of, of our university or our college. And there's a ton of different things that are the purposes. And the issue becomes, those are all complicated questions. Yet, as a community, very few people want complicated answers. I think what most people, when you say assessment, they're thinking that standardized assessment that determines whether their kid's going to get into a college or not, or whether the school's going to meet the, well, what used to be for No Child Left Behind, AYP adequate yearly progress. So, you know, what is the assessment and what's it mean? I guess that's the big question. I know most parents, uh, when they think assessment, it's, you know, the teacher's test, but it's always that big assessment at the end that their students have to take to either pass the grade or to get into college. That is probably at the forefront of what most people think when you say assessment, because standardized testing is such a huge topic in the news and politically. I will say, and, and we'll post a link on the website with a couple places to go, because really in terms of what is where assessment's at, it's really become very state-by-state, state, so we're not going to discuss 50 states in a webinar. Just as an overall general comment, ESSA, the replacement for No Child Left Behind. Which stands for Every Student Succeeds Act. I'm glad you said that, because I don't know if I'd have gotten it right. I had to think. I had to think about it. <laughs> the standardized tests are still there, but they're to be used to judge the schools and the districts, but more and more states are pulling back the idea of standardized assessment to pass a grade level or to graduate. And there's really just a handful of states left. Sorry, New Yorkers. Just for those of you who are not from New York, it, I believe you're talking about the Regents exams that I think they've had forever that 
if you don't pass them, you don't move on or get out of school. Yeah, they have changed in uh, with the day of uh, Common Core. But yeah, the point is, those I mean, the states doing that are beginning to decline in terms of determining student promotion or student graduation. Everyone's still using testing, and the uh, ESSA, the new ESSA law is allowing states more flexibility to determine what what is considered progress. I mean, that was one of the big issues with No Child Left Behind was that it had these metrics that honestly were unrealistic, Very unrealistic. in terms of in terms of student achievement um, by subpopulation. Now, to be to be fair, um, No Child Left Behind. Its goal was to make sure that all students, regardless of uh, um, demographic, regardless of uh, learning differences, um, would be successful. The problem is, and this goes back to what I was leading off with, is that that's an incredibly complicated question for a simple answer, but No Child Left Behind tried to put a very simple answer. You're going to have a test score with a number that says this that's going to determine that all students have learned. It's just not practical. Well, and it and it also was used to determine if a teacher was a good teacher, which again is unrealistic. You know, you can't expect. I think it was what seventy percent passing was the kind of the cutoff that students had to make and teachers had to make, and that's again unrealistic. Well, and that number was supposed to promote. I mean, when that law first passed, I forget what the year was. I'd have to look it up. But there was a, there was a specific date by which there would be a hundred percent passing. Which I wish that happened as a teacher. Well, I do, and I don't want to go down that tangent too far. But I mean, the reality is, when it comes to student achievement, there are way too many variables that are outside even instruction um, that right. a student needs to, to manage in order to be successful. So, 100%, it's not, there are too many variables a school over which a school has no control to get to a number that is that large. Right like absences, those types of things. So I guess the question is, because I know No Child Left Behind really focused the assessment on a standardized assessment. And so why standardized assessment is maybe our first question, because that is what tends to be what people use to judge student progress, teacher success, those types of things. Um, you you, You can write a nice article in the newspaper and have a ranking of all the local school districts and here's how they did. Um, and they're, moreover, not only the easy, they're relatively cheap. And maybe we should clarify what we mean by standardized testing. So standardized testing versus the other one. Standardized testing? Oh, criteria, norm reference testing. So isn't standardized testing is criteria referenced, right? Not necessarily. You have standards that you have to meet. Yes, but a standardized test can be norm referenced. The Iowa test of basic skills that's been around since the dawn of public education, I think. And that gives you, like, what, I mean, you get these reports, it feels like this is what grade level your student's at. That's norm reference. Um, or this is what percentage. I know uh, we just got one from my daughter. It's called MAP testing. It's measure of academic progress. But, uh, I mean, what if, I mean, it's, it is criteria reference in the sense that it's done by standard, but it's norm reference in terms of, as a parent, we got a little, we got a, a little report with a confidence interval in terms of what percentage our child was at and wringing of hands that our, our poor daughter is only at the 72nd percentile for reading. Oh no. She was at 98, she was at 98 for math. So we're all good on the math side. So I guess, I guess standardized testing is used because it, it's a summative type of assessment. So basically it's, you know, think about states that give those end of course tests, standardized tests. So you've completed algebra, you take a standardized test, and there's certain score that you need to get that determines if you've actually learned algebra. So that's sort of what the standardized tests are. They're summative on what you're supposed to have learned 
based on it's standards. It's typically summative, and more importantly, it's delivered the exact same way everywhere. I mean, anybody listening to this who's a teacher or remember their days as a student, remember standardized tests where the teacher had a script, and this is what you say exactly when you say it, so that the idea being everyone has the exact same assessment experience so that we can then compare apples to apples in terms of performance. Right. And so is that an effective way to assess students is probably a question that maybe is why schools and states are changing the way that they think about standardized testing based on this SLA. Well, and the ESSA is allowing states some flexibility in terms of determining what is, what is, what is growth and what is advancement as schools and as students. Um, but then the issue comes up, the authentic ways to do it are expensive. So ESSA is great in terms of it provides states the flexibility to come up with more authentic ways to assess improvement, to assess learning, um, but there still isn't a solution in terms of something that's cost-effective. Right, because, I mean, again, I guess that's why standardized testing is also used, because, like you just said, it's cost-effective. It's pretty easy to get all your students in your school taking a test that they fill in a bubble sheet and then you scan the answers, whereas effective testing often includes things like portfolios or uh, free written responses versus bubble, bubbled answers, um, and those are harder to grade because you need actual people to look at them, not a machine necessarily. Exactly. So it's a, it's a, I mean, all the questions, you, and your first question yesterday was a great one, what's the purpose? And I think all the purposes are valid purposes. The, the question is, how do you do it in a way that doesn't, that is authentic, but doesn't, I mean, in worst case scenarios, damage students. I mean, we've all heard the horror stories about kids who are, have all sorts of anxiety and stress because they're going to school for standardized test day. My take on, on ESSA, and feel free to disagree, is that ESSA should limit that somewhat because the focus of ESSA is less on individual students having to do well, but more on but they do have to be there. Most states in their ESSA plans, so the way ESSA works, for those of you who are familiar, is that every state is in the process of submitting their plan to the federal government about how they're going to assess student learning and school improvement and given flexibility around that. But there has to be a standardized testing component to it. There has to be metrics that are going to be used. And most states and schools are going to be under a lot of pressure to get kids to show up for the test because they're going to be graded down. Kids don't show up. Basically, it's going to be your refusal to take the test is going to be assumed that you didn't learn anything. So it's like the, the essence of getting a zero on a test. Um, in terms of trying to make a grade. Right. And so there will be continued pressure. You're As parents, um, as teachers, you're going to continue to get pressured from administrators to make sure kids are showing up and taking the test. But there should be less um, anxiety around you have to, every kid has to do um, so well and, and all the boot camps and all those things that have traditionally existed around the high-stakes testing. Oh, I used to hate those as a teacher. Oh, yeah. I, think I felt like we spent, I don't know, a month before the test just preparing for the test. You know, we'd have pep rallies and we'd have practice tests. I mean, like, like by the time the kids got to the actual standardized test, they were like, we don't even want to take it. <laughs> my, uh, my favorite was you took my I was taught at a school that took struggling kids. So the kids who most needed instruction and then two weeks before the, the state test 
pulled them all out and sent them to a test boot camp where they would just do basically test prep all day, every day for two weeks. So not only are they going to what is typically mind-numbing, unmotivating work for two weeks, but then you've taken them out of regular instruction for two weeks, but then they have to help them figure out how to catch up and they finally get back. Right. It's crazy. Well, and then you're also, you're teaching them, like I remember we were teaching them test-taking skills because it was a standardized test and, you know, you had four possible choices. So if you didn't know, if you could narrow it down to 50% and then you could guess and check or you could plug in your calculator, like there were tricks and that's not learning either, right? right. We're teaching them exactly. to memorize steps. So very frustrating. So my hope was that ESSA, and it's again still early in the process, is going to kind of change that emphasis on passing the standardized test because there's other things that are going to count towards student achievement. It's not going to just be a it test. It allows students the flexibility to not make it matter as much in terms of taking that pressure off. I mean, a state could choose to keep it the way it is if they wanted to. They have more flexibility in terms of how they right. want to determine what success looks like. Now, the federal government still has to approve that. So it still goes to the Department of Education. The Department of Education still has to agree to whatever that plan is. States are given a fair amount of flexibility. And in my read of our current Department of Education would be that uh, there'd be a fair amount of flexibility there. And honestly, the state's I doubt a state would keep what they have because there's a lot of political pressure at the state level yeah. because kids are failing and parents aren't terribly happy when their kids are failing. What? Yeah. That is a surprise. <laughs> I, I, it's shocking. I, uh, I mean, I just, until a few years ago, we, I lived and taught in Texas for many years. Texas had the high stakes graduation test. And when I was teaching there, they had to pass for mathematics, so I taught math, up through Algebra 2, end of course test, in order to graduate. Now, that has since been peeled all the way back. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought they still had that. The STAR is that state of Texas assessment. They still have the assessment, but they're no longer, like, uh, I think, again, I should look this up and put it in the website. But last time I checked, they only had to pass the algebra end of course to graduate. So they're peeling back those requirements because so many kids aren't graduating. And so then there's political pressure. Graduation rates are going down. Um, because students aren't, aren't meeting these standards. Now, it could be a whole nother conversation, which probably shouldn't be today. Um, what, what are the ramifications of learning when you, uh, when you peel that back? I was going to say, what, the, what does that mean then? So now we've, we have less requirement. So are the kids who are graduating really competent or, you know, have they really achieved what they should have? How are we going to know? Well, the positive end of that is we all know students, you, I mean, you and I both taught, we all know students who teaching them, talking to them on a day-to-day -day basis, looking at their work would say, yeah, that student is as adequately mastered or even is quite proficient at the standards for the high school geometry course. But the kid does, is a horrible test taker and freezes up and does really poorly. So that's the positive in terms of that student now doesn't end up struggling to graduate just because, right, because they struggle on that multiple choice. No, yeah, I am excited that that new law, ESSA or ESSA, is allowing states a little bit more flexibility and maybe they're going to cut back on the number of standardized tests because it does seem, when I was teaching in Virginia, that they were just, they had a, a benchmark test in the middle and then they had a, it was like there was constant standardized testing that took away from actual learning, in my opinion. So I feel like ESSA is going to hopefully reduce the number of standardized tests. But I am also concerned because I was looking at some of the state's plans that are already out there. And some of them are basically taking away all possible assessments and replacing them with things that I don't feel are necessarily a true assessment of what a student in high school 
let's say, should have learned. So, for example, a lot of states are just going to accept SAT or ACT as this assessment for students getting out of high school. And I don't know that that's appropriate either. It's a complicated answer. I, at, at its base value, I'd say no, it's not appropriate. The SAT and ACT is an incredibly valid and reliable assessment for one and only one thing, which is the higher you score on those tests, the more likely you are to graduate with a four-year college degree. Right. So it's assessing whether you're going to do well in college, not whether you learned what you needed in high school. As a caveat to that, both of those assessments have in the last couple of years revised their assessments to be aligned to the Common Core standards for uh, those states that are Common Core. And I don't know that there are any states who aren't Common Core states who are using the SAT, ACT as their exit test. Because that would complicate things. Because then you're talking about, is your test even aligned to your state standards? Now, again, going into a whole other discussion, if you happen to live in a state like Indiana, they don't call it the Common Core, but it, it basically right. is the Common Core. Um, and so that would be a less an issue. But states like Texas, which has very disparate standards, and uh, especially like in mathematics right. and the SAT, but I know Texas doesn't do it. But anyway, the test wasn't created for what it's being used for, but it solves a political problem. It has a number that's easily measured that everybody understands. 1,600 on the SAT, really right. good. Um, 400, really not good. Um, <laughs> and it solves another problem, the cost factor. You know, it's a set cost. Someone else is grading it district doesn't have to deal with that. I mean, the college board, the group that makes the SAT, I mean, they are technically a nonprofit, but uh, I don't know. Have you ever had the privilege of going to a college board event? I have not. Wankiest nonprofit you'll ever <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me from my reading, the ACT in particular, is creating new tests. Like the, I saw a lot of states uh, referencing the ACT work keys, which looks like it's trying to address some of that common core applied math type of thing. So it looks like they are trying to address a different type of standardized testing that has more open-ended types of questions to address the Common Core standards. But again, I'm still not quite sure if that's appropriate. Well, you, you bring up a good, a good thought, which is the reality is assessments in the last decade have become very splintered. Just a brief history lesson for those of you who may not be familiar. When the Common Core came out 10 years ago, the federal government had a grant program for folks to create assessments that states could adopt that were aligned to the Common Core. Two groups got grant money. One, uh, uh, here's the other test now, Madam Greenhouse, if you, if you know what the uh, PARC stands for, the PARCC. Oh, that's the first one I used to know. Uh, oh, it's partnership. Okay, here we go. Park Partnership for Assessment of Readiness for College and Careers. And Smarter Balance is called Smarter Balance Assessment Consortium. So it's basically whichever state, basically the states that adopted the Common Core could also choose to buy into one of those two to do their assessment. And they didn't have to, just to dispel some uh, right. political political uh, misunderstandings that have come out in the last several years around this. The, those assessments were created um, with federal money, but then states had the option to use them or not. And a lot of states went to them because they saved them money. The federal government paid for the development of the test. Sure. Giving, the te giving standardized assessments is relatively inexpensive. Making them can be expensive. And that's why it was a consortium. It's the states all went in on 
that's whole grouping and helps support it, that type of thing. So the more that we're involved, the cheaper it was. Now, since then, for lots and lots of reasons, uh, it's become very splintered. I think uh, there's only a handful very. of states using, I think, Park just dipped under 10. Um, Colorado just backed out. Yeah, I have, uh, let's see, I have 21 are, are still using either Smarter Balance or Park. Or one or the other, right. Yeah, it's one or the other, but there's only, there's still 38 states that are using Common Core assessments, but only 21 are using one of those two. A lot of them are creating their own now with the flexibility of ESSA. Right. And, I mean, the reason for creating their own is uh, driven, I think, by two things. A, there's politics there. With all the anti-Common Core sentiment, there was this, uh, it gave states sort of an out, like, we're not going in with the feds altogether. We are a state, and so as much as so we'll use their standards, but we're going to assess it because we know what fill-in-the-blank state kids need to know to be successful. Right. So part of it was politics, but honestly, part of it was money. Right. Park and Smarter Balance, as much as they got federal money for development, neither of those tests are what you're thinking of in terms of we show up on one day or two days and we take all the tests and then we're done. Those are both sweeps of assessments that students take throughout the year for both formative uh, purposes in terms of helping teachers know where students' weaknesses are, as well as the ultimate summative assessments at the end of the school year. They're expensive. And they're expensive to grade because they're not just standardized bubble sheet, it's also some open-ended type questions where they have to, you know, think, so then that takes longer to grade, those types of things. Exactly. So, I mean, for those reasons, it's, it's become very splintered in terms of how states are choosing to assess. But I, I, I want to talk just for a second about this whole that dynamic. There was this conflation, I think, in politics. So you and I have a mutual friend, Mr. Marsh. Hi, Robert, if you're listening to this. <laughs> He and I had a very lengthy, friendly disagreement, I would call it, and he very much uh, promoted uh, for the opt-out movement for students not ha- having to spend so much time or taking these high-stakes standardized tests as they not show up, and that parents, that kids shouldn't have to take the test, and if you're in a state where they have them, um, parents can keep their kids from school, home from school that day. The day of the test, so, so they don't take the test. Interesting. But then he was conflating that with the Common Core standards, design, standards, and I kept pulling him back. I'm like, Robert, are you complaining about the standards? Are you complaining about the assessment? We can have a very rich discussion around this whole idea of purpose of the validity of standardized assessments and what values do they add and are they worth doing. But the standards are an entirely separate idea. Exactly. And I think that's the problem. What does Common Core have to do with assessment? Uh, the idea behind the Common Core was if you're going from state to state or we're trying to compare ourselves, which we always do, to other states or other countries, we should have a common set of standards that everyone is learning so that comparison makes sense. So that's why the Common Core standards were developed, so that states who adopted them, and again, that was free choice, were all teaching to the same standards so that when we compared achievement of students, it was being compared based on the same standards. That's what the whole idea behind Common Core standards was. That does not have to do with the standardized testing, though. And I think with the, with the politics of the situation, those got conflated. I mean, we hear lots of politicians talk about they're going to get rid of the Common Core. Um, and But what are they talking about getting rid of? And what, and what does that look like? In the reality, is every state had a set of learning standards before the Common Core came around. And the Common Core developed for very similar reasons to how you described the uh, assessment. States got together, and, I mean, that the Common Core movement wasn't initiated by the White House. Another common misnomer, the Common Core movement started 
government, right? State well, governors. Right. And it was when George W. Bush was in office, not Barack Obama, that the governors got together and knowing that we live in a world that you don't grow up and live in the same town your whole life anymore. And so there is efficiencies and effectiveness gathered by let's put a bunch of smart people together representing all the states and figure out, all right, for mathematics and for English language arts, what are things that kids should be able to know and do to know that they will be prepared for um, whether it's colleges or careers once they graduate from high school. Okay, so we've got these Common Core standards, and in my last check, there are 38 states that have adopted them, still have them in some form or another. Some of them call them something different, probably for political reasons. They may have added things to them and changed them, but for the most part, there's about 38 states that are still using some form of the Common Core. So how does that impact assessment or what does that even have to do with assessment? It only has to do with assessment in terms of that's when you put your asset plan together, those standards are what you have to demonstrate you're showing progress on. And then the states can determine what they what progress is going to look like. I think that's, that's at the end of the day, that's the connection. I mean, in terms of if you're a parent out there wanting to know, well, what does this all mean for you and your, your students? If you're really nerdy... <laughs> Which we know you are. Find your state's a plan, and we'll put a link to where you can get to them if uh, you want to read them, and then that'll that'll answer the question: Why are the assessment? Why and how are your are your state's assessments? Um, and get the actual facts. I mean, short of that, you. I mean, any administrator at your at a school or at a district should be able to answer that question. Like, all right, how is your how is your school going to use these assessments, and what are the repercussions? And you might want to consider, like, I really, I've, I mean, going back to that opt out movement. I have real mixed feelings about the opt-out movement. Like, I appreciate this idea of parents being ultimately responsible for their kids' education. But if you look at how is assessment being used, one of them is being used to determine your school's effectiveness. Well, when you opt your child out, at some point that's going to come around and kick you in the butt. Because if too many people opt out, then that school, your, your kid's school is going to be assessed as being deficient. Especially with ESSA, right? Because they're expecting participation. Right. It's not, it's not like No Child Left Behind where it's a certain cut score, but it's definitely a participation. So opting out is going to impact your school and the funding, I'm guessing. Right. Receive. You're gaining the freedom of, well, I, don't, I, I don't have to let my child take that test if I don't want him or her to. But then you're going to lose the freedom because typically, now this is going to vary state to state, but typically if a school is found to be deficient, then the school loses options in terms of how it presents instruction, how it affects its teachers. Um, so those freedoms are going to be lost. So my recommendation would be look at the consequences of, that, of those choices if, if you're promoting the opt-out movement. Right. And it, and I would also say, I mean, it kind of depends state by state, too, what those consequences are, because I know in Virginia, where I did most of my teaching, it's if they didn't pass the assessments, they didn't get the credit for the course, even if they had passed the course and therefore they didn't graduate. So opting out of an assessment could hurt your child's graduation probability. Still the best acronym for any state assessments are those in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Yes. For those of you who don't know, the state test in Virginia is called the Standards of Learning, which for short is SOL. And so you can imagine the other meaning for SOL was used often by teachers and students and probably parents. Right? So we've kind of hit on a lot of things like what is standardized assessment? What's the Common Core have to do it? What's opt out? So what is how do we want to kind of conclude our kind of rambling thoughts today? The, the conclusion is, if you're a teacher, you need to know your state's plan. You need to read it for yourself. If you're a parent, 
either read it or talk to your school administration, know how the assessment is being used in your school, what the purposes are, what are the consequences for both your child and for the school based on how you do or if you choose not to take it. And then based on that, you can determine what you need to know for for your child. And we'll provide some links about places you can go. Like I know you can go to the ESSA site right now and actually look up your state's plan if they've submitted it yet. I think some of them um, are still working on them. But if you look there, that's also going to kind of tell you where the state is heading, what assessment they're thinking about. And I believe it even has the opt-out plan and all those types of things in it. So with that, I think we're at the end of another 180-day podcast. Madam Greenhouse, it's a pleasure always chatting with you. Listeners, please give us a review. We will read them. We're just starting this thing out, so we'd love to hear what you have to say, how we can make things better. If you have ideas for topics, go to our website and give us feedback there. Ratings are always very useful to help us get promoted, get more people listening to uh, what we're talking about. Thank you, ma'am. Always a pleasure, Mr. Pope. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr with the handle 180 Days Podcast, or visit our website, 180dayseducation.wordpress.com, where we continue the conversation and send out updates and announcements. Again, thank you for listening, and be sure to stay tuned for Episode 3, where we will focus on STEM education. The educated citizen knows how much more there is to know. That knowledge is power, more so today than ever before.